0: Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we're giving away a bunch of brand new Blackmagic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci
1: Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Blackmagic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey everyone, welcome to the 225th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Andrea Nelson and Holly Peterson. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Unlow.
0: Today, we've got a Matt and Oren episode. It's just Oren and I talking about all of the things that we've been working on and also digging in on what it means to be a COVID-friendly director in this age of the pandemic. So we're talking all about our experiences shooting remotely, travel jobs, pitching on things. And uh, everything in between. Uh, We're going to talk about some news items as well. We're digging in on the nature of being a director during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, So it's going to be a good one. Yeah,
1: I mean, I guess there was like this long time where we just thought, as soon as this is over, this is going to be our next move. And it's become pretty clear that there isn't an official over that's going to happen like this year. Even if a vaccine comes out, in the fall, people still obviously a lot of people won't take the vaccine. Uh, so the vaccines might only be effective for some people. Even like a vaccine, which seems like an easy like on off switch of us being able to go back to work or testing or whatever. If you could test everyone in five minutes at every, every point, like none of that stuff is realistic for this year. And especially now with schools in LA not opening, um, it's uh, it's gonna be wild, man. Or like, yeah, until yeah. I think at, le- at least until next year, and you know, going by the Matt Enlow School of Thought, like, even if things got better around November, it would be too late for the rest of the year because, yeah, yeah,
0: there's um, people like everything shuts down, right? Right, well, you know, so just to kind of give everyone context for where we are in time, uh, as recording this, it is July 15th, and so. You know, um, we all kind of went into various forms of lockdown in March, right? Like mid-March, and so it's been kind of a while now. I think I'm on day 125 of. No of way! Our, Did you really yeah. calculate it? Yeah, we we keep track. Chrissy has like a little. Um, we have a little sign, and we change the number every day. You know, like right. those like cute marquees. Yeah, does it have like you a Far Side
1: cartoon on every page?
0: <laughs> I wish, I wish. You know, Gary Larson is um, yeah, he's, he's doing the comics, yeah. <laughs> Except he's like very
1: careful to not say he's back. Yeah, yeah. But he's drawing like with the tablet, I think, and I doing think so. Pretty think amazing so. artwork. Uh,
0: I was a pretty diehard Far Side fan as a kid. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah. So I think we all thought that we would be back to work by now, and um. You know, I have always said that fourth of july is kind of my dividing that's like the beginning the first half of the year and the second half of the year basically is predicated on the fourth of july because that's kind of around where summer uh vacations pivot so like if an ad executive is planning on taking their kids to disney world in july uh then they're probably going to get all of their jobs done before that and then they'll go on their trip and then they'll come back and you know start pitching on things and we'll it'll trickle down to us and you know by the end of july we're beginning to work again basically is the idea um and that's just based that's anecdotal based off of like a couple years of um of keeping track of everything and so that's not a hard and fast rule but mentally it's i've kind of always been like okay with taking july pretty easy and uh and here we are mid-july and um you know we had we've continue to set uh records in terms of COVID cases here in los angeles so uh yeah it's it's pretty demoralizing um but that's not what we're here to talk about we're talking about uh the reality of this being a part of our lives for a while and how we are coping and uh, attacking it
1: yeah and this is not something that we haven't talked about on the podcast before and that other podcasts haven't treaded and you probably talk about uh, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you've probably talked about this type of thing with your friends and family as well. But I do think, to your point, Matt, that on July 15th, we are looking at what us as directors should be doing much differently than we were on April 15th, which is probably around when we did that uh, COVID director episode where we
0: talked to a bunch of different directors about what they're doing. Yeah, back then we were all just watching Tiger King and um, you know, trying to get toilet paper and not thinking that this was going to be a long-term situation.
1: Yeah, I think across the board, the directors we spoke to were saying, you know, we're working on writing, we're trying to figure out how to make our shoots a little bit smaller, and we're eager to get back to them. But no one was actually talking about production during pandemic. And I got to admit, I was one of those people that was Seeing all these people on Facebook and social media trying to create these, like, you know, like Ira Rosenzweig, who's been on our podcast, uh, created this thing called Crew in a Box, which is a box you mail to someone, you you literally open it up, mm-hmm. and it has lights come out of it, microphone mm-hmm. comes out of it, a teleprompter comes out of it, there's a, I think, a Black Magic camera in there, or some other, like, yeah. kind of 4K or 6K camera.
0: There's certainly, like, that kind of inner circle of people trading... Um, test case scenarios of how to do this sort of work remotely you know like sandwich did a great behind the scenes video on how they did a remote shoot for uh slack actually i think is what it was um but yeah there's a lot of different companies trying to prove like hey everyone we've got the solution to make content for you brand or tv network or whatever um so that they can stay afloat and it's certainly like a survival tactic for these companies that have more overhead and, you know, their PPP loan, you know, only goes so far and all of that stuff. Uh, whereas as individuals, I think it's a slightly different deal, but I think we're all in that headspace now of like, well, we've got at least the second half of this year to look at. Like, I'm not just gonna write two more screenplays. (laughs) That can't be the plan, you know? And look, maybe it is, but like that doesn't seem sustainable.
1: Right, and the point I was gonna make, um was that i I was thinking that was a waste of time because I thought as soon as they got their products off the ground, the whole pandemic would be over, and we'd be back at work. and all this time and money and effort they'd spent on remote shooting was all for none. But I guess one of the things that I thought we could talk about is just either our own stories of remote shooting, of sh- self shooting, of auditioning, to you know pitching on jobs. And also about other stories we've heard of, Um, because, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, our friends at Sawhorse have
0: more or less been shooting nonstop Mm -hmm. uh, for the last month. And I I think they're a, a great example of a style of content that we have seen bubble up over the last few months of webcams basically is kind of what it boils down to and sometimes they're a little more technically evolved and sometimes it's a phone or something like that but basically uh, a consumer grade camera that uh, a host or actors are addressing directly it's kind of like the new version of a lifestyle piece you know it's like um, the commercial that's like voiceover of like in these uncertain times cut to like people on skype talking to each other you know Right. Um. And they're doing more. Sawhorse is doing more like live event style stuff. It's like the reunion of Parks and Rec sort of world that they're really orchestrating. So it's a lot of producing, but but no one. My point is is that no one is using a professional grade camera. No, I, I'd say
1: that what you just said, at least in regards to Sawhorse, was true. Like one to two months ago. But oh, they, are they doing? They're doing. They're sending a camera person, you know, with a microphone to someone, to an actor's house. They're shooting on Canon C300s. They're shooting on um, Sony's. I mean, they might have done some red Alexa shoots. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Yuki. But uh, real cameras know. is what you're getting at. Yeah. Yeah. He just shot something on a C500. Your point is, though, is
0: that it's evolved, basically. Now it, they're sending a yeah. few bodies, basically.
1: Yeah. And I what I am seeing a lot is like, celebrities or influencers um, having mini crews coming to their houses. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've I've had like kind of three examples of shoots. And I think the order that they're in kind of uh, correlates to the time in the pandemic that they belong to. Um, I probably mentioned them all on the podcast, but I had one totally remote shoot. Uh, The actress that was in it actually lives like two blocks away from me. (laughs) But, you know, we weren't allowed to send anyone to her house and not only that and this was for viacom they had a company mandate that you couldn't even ask a crew member to leave their house like you can't you couldn't Mm -hmm. say like oh can you go buy this thing at target even Mm -hmm. though target was open and it was like legal you know right right um But uh, I think they've relaxed it a little bit since then. I think they're allowed to send, like, runners and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But
0: basically, they don't want to have any sort of liability, basically.
1: Yeah. So, we could ship stuff. So, we shipped all the art in, like, 12 separate bins to the actress's house. We uh, sent her an iPhone 11 Pro with, uh, like, a stand. We sent her two lights and a boom mic and I think that's it. You know, product, of course. Mm And for that one, it was all over Zoom. It was shot on the iPhone. And the idea about the iPhone being twofold, one, that there's an app that's installed on it that basically lets us see everything as soon as it's being being shot in super high, in like 4K quality. And the other thing, of course, being that almost everyone knows how to use one to shoot it. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally was fighting to use like a Blackmagic camera or even like a DSLR or something. Uh, I lost that battle, uh, but the next production after me won it.
0: (laughs) Oh, really? That's so funny. Because I maybe would have advocated for the phone. I think phones look really great, and I think the point of, if you've got a single performer who's also your entire crew, managing their stress levels becomes maybe the most important resource that you're dealing with. Because if they get fed up, or if they don't, Like It's a finite amount of energy that they can expend being telegenic and funny and bright on camera and also acquiescing to all of the little tweaks that you have for lighting and blocking and all of that stuff. Right. And so if you can make the camera part a little easier and maybe get away with making a few more adjustments as a result, if that's the trade-off, I think I'm probably willing to make that. I don't know. I see that. And
1: I, you know, in the end, one of the reasons I didn't fight that hard for it is because of what you just said. But, um, so first of all, we had a tech scout day, we called it where we set up all the lights and the art and the phones and mm-hmm. stuff be- the day before the shoot to get, you know, so the client's not waiting for us to do that. And so on that day, whether it was an iPhone or a black magic camera or whatever, Sony a 7s we could have, yeah, yeah, we could have done all the settings. And the thing is, I totally agree with you. It, for a specific type of shoot, if the shoot is like in a very bright house with a lot of daylight or in a backyard or you know somewhere mm-hmm. else, and Matt Pollock was on the podcast and talked about this, the iPhone 11 looks amazing outdoors with a lot of sun. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you're closing all the blinds and lighting a room by yourself, um, the sharpening, you the contrast, yeah, yeah. Uh, and even the exposure, which is like pretty much auto-exposed, exposed the whole time. I mean, I know you can lock it if you know how to do it, but explaining
0: to our Also, actor, locking the exposure... Are you using Filmic Pro or are you using the actual... Well, in-camera? it uses... It's more or less the, in, the built-in
1: camera, but it's wrapped around this other program called CineBody, which is what mm-hmm. a- automatically uploads it.
0: And is anyone, except for the actor, able to adjust the CineBody settings at all? Like, could a... Could you or a DP-type lock exposure, for instance, or just exposure. No,
1: not on the the iPhone through that program, but I do believe that some cameras like the Blackmagic do
0: let you have remote Mm -hmm. um, capabilities of those sorts. Um, Yeah, because that would be... If it's not on the actor's plate anymore, then that's a different deal entirely. And also, I think it's really tricky to self-shoot with the iPhone and do a focus or exposure lock because like you have to have the subject in front of the camera in front of the lens in order for you to lock onto it right and you know what i did we
1: had like the easel that was the same height as the actress and Mm -hmm. then when i did it myself at home i had my ipad in selfie mode behind my phone that basically served as a mirror. I think you're the one that might have said, like, why don't you just use a mirror? I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but even seeing your screen with like many of those cameras, like a Sony A7S, I believe, uh, or like a Canon C500 or something, you can flip the screen, mm-hmm. so uh, you can see what you're how you're framed. So, it, you know, I think there's pluses and minuses, but at the end of the day, the iPhone, uh, I don't think it looks good indoor interior lit shot Mm -hmm. with one
0: light you know especially when you're going for kind of like beauty lighting and stuff um so all of which is to say i think that there is a distinct learning curve in the same way that like you know picking um a crew size and a camera and the lens package all that stuff we have all of that experience so we can say okay i know what we're shooting and i'm going to adapt our shooting style and get this gear to match what what i'm aiming for And now with this extra layer of remote shooting and like being able to you know some cameras you can control remotely and some cameras you can't and all of this stuff how easy is it on the performer to self-operate all of that stuff becomes a big blind spot for us whereas we used to be able to bring in an area of expertise that like would guide and you would be Uh, that we could guide basically a production into the exact right thing. That's part of our job, right? And so now we have to learn a new way of doing things.
1: Yeah. I will say the one thing that I did not think suffered was like the actor-director relationship because we were like literally the way you and I are looking at each other over Google Mm -hmm. Hangouts right now, this is how we were. So I felt... Like I had her attention and she had my attention and we were mm-hmm. looking at each other and talking about what she just did. And then we did another take, you know, um, I believe that that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and we're like kind of yeah. looking at close ups of each other's faces. I mean, yeah. everyone else is listening. There is not like a lot of parallel processing. Like while we're talking, the art director can't be like adjusting things,
0: you know. Right. So uh, that that was my next que- question, actually. is Have you done a shoot where there is a DP on set?
1: Well, so my second shoot was the one
0: in Kentucky that i mm-hmm. you know, all about. Um, and that one was... But for listeners at home, Oren flew out to Kentucky, shot with a small crew indoors overnight. But it was a, a small team. Everyone's masked up and all of that.
1: Yeah. And indoors, but it's a supermarket. So it's like a big right. open space. Um, everyone wore masks the entire time, except for the actors took them off right before we rolled and put them on after we rolled. And did I talk to you about that controversy about whether we have because it's in a supermarket, which is a public place? There was a question of should our actors
0: be wearing masks in the commercial. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if we talked about it on the show or not. Ultimately, though, you just put a put a bug at the bottom that was a disclaimer that said, "Hey, this is yeah, you, like a recreation.
1: check local regulations. You know, right. in, in regards to you might have to be masked." Yeah, and part of the reason it was a question is because the ads are supposed to air in july and so there was this question like will we still be needing to wear masks in supermarkets in july and everyone thought probably but we don't know for sure and if the answer is no it's going to be kind of funny not even it's- funny
0: remind you of something upsetting <laughs> yeah there's a reason we don't have a bunch of like commercial set at funerals <laughs> right, right. You now but now
1: uh you know the three or four weeks afterwards, I am starting to see a lot of commercials where people are wearing masks. Anyway, that one, the most dangerous thing I did, in my opinion, was at lunchtime, I, I was probably like four or five feet you away from the You spit in everyone's food. Oh, yeah, but I always do. Yeah, that. yeah. Yeah, you're um, like, welcome to Los Angeles. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, this is not Los Angeles. <laughs> um, but, uh, but otherwise, we're all masked. We all touched the cameras. I mean, I was touching everything. Everyone touched everything. It was kind of at the, right at that time where people were starting to realize that surfaces aren't like the main way that people are spreading COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone was sanitizing a lot, um, washing their hands. There's, so th- that shoot went well. I mean, the most difficult part of that, I mean, A, we had a smaller crew, like there was no script supervisor. There was a lot less people on set, um, which maybe slowed us down. We only had a two-person art team in a supermarket where everything you look at is a giant brand that's... Not really a big enough art team, but um, but one of the interesting things that I didn't think about was, even though we're in together, the communication is kind of hard when you don't see mm-hmm. each other's lips. Like you're mm-hmm. like, hey, can you move that? You know, that light like yeah. three inches to the left. It's in the frame, and they're like, all of a sudden, that's just yeah. That yeah. and also there's no lips to um to help give the like, ground the thing. Everyone has to listen so well that like the noise levels make a difference and we were you know when you're losing time and you're running and you're like can you do this while we do this and set that up while you're in the- and people are just like lo- like missing pieces mm-hmm. of direction left and right so yeah
0: did you consider wearing a walkie at all um no i for I a, hate a long time I, yeah yeah most directors hate walkies and i would say that most of the time i do as well but then um on ellen everyone was on walkie all the time and when I needed to, when I only would be able to shoot it once because it was a surprise or something like that, and I needed oh, to right. communicate well, yeah. with my camera ops.
1: I mean, that was hidden camera, pretty much.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, yeah like got to do that.
1: So, but but you're not I on walkie was, with like the gaffer,
0: or, like the um. I started going on supervisor. to the main crew channel all the time, so I knew what was happening all of the time and could like call things in advance, I could, you know, speak to people, like, it, I felt like, oh, now I have a superpower. Instead of shouting to everyone, I know everything that's happening all the time and can communicate with them much more effectively.
1: Yeah, but then you also have to hear, like, oh, PAs, we need more, a few more chairs over here. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. Or whatever. Uh,
0: uh, with, with the big caveat that, like, I'm not rehearsing with an actor during that time. You know, the right. downtime is different when it's something where, you're not working with actors.
1: Yeah. The only time I ever use a walkie is if either I'm talking to an actor that's in a car mm-hmm. um, and I'm not in the car or I, uh, yeah, I'm talking to camera operators for something like what you're talking about. Or if we're just on it, like on a big location, like you're shooting mm-hmm. on the studio a lot, like right, yeah, right. big location. You just kinda you can't, have to have no matter how
0: loud you shout, it doesn't help. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I'm not um, especially loud as it is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast, but I have uh, the, we have this little bubble pod, whatever, quarantine, whatever you want to call it here in LA. I don't think I families. want to call it a,
0: a quarantine. Okay. Oh, Pod is fine. I like pod. A, a cohort, some people you know, call them. Oh, I like that. I like that. I don't mean to, no disrespect. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't, you have to have we some call it, with
1: it. We call it the pod, but yeah. um, uh, it's very cute, confusing for it. me. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, but we have rules for ourselves. And one of the rules is you're not allowed to fly anywhere. Uh, and we, by the way, we don't like really, it's not that we're all hanging out together, but our kids are playing together and right. touching each other, you know? Um, so like in, all right. in within physical contact of each other. And so I flew to Kentucky. So when I came back, uh, there was a
0: tribunal you
1: had to, uh, yes, there was, you know. <laughs> and they decided I had to quarantine for 10 days and get two negative COVID test results. Uh, but, I got my first test the day after I flew back, and then they decided that that was too early, even if I did get COVID, to, for me to get a positive test result. So I had to get a third one, a third test yeah. on day 3. Three out of five is not bad. So yeah, so that was kind of crazy. But it did give me a little bit of like alone time during my quarantine to really start working on some skills that I that I wanted to work on, which we'll t- talk about in a minute. Uh, I just wanted to mention the third shoot I have, which just keeps getting pushed farther and farther down the road right now. It was supposed to be July 22nd. Now it's August 4th. We'll see if it actually ends up happening. But it's with an influencer, a Twitch influencer. And we were going to... From conception of the whole concept and the shot list and everything, we we were basically making a plan that she could shoot on her own at home. We could send a tiny crew to her house or we could shoot on a stage, which is like really what I wanted to do. Right, all of the plans At once. You're
0: running in parallel three different ways. Yeah. But, you know,
1: as you're talking, this has like, this job has like five clients on it. So as you're talking to everyone and pitching to everyone and trying to change things and saying, you need this shot and you need this shot and you need this tone and you need this plug. Like, well, we couldn't do a little camera move or we could do a pan or we could do a rack Mm -hmm. focus or we can do some fast cuts or we'll do the, we'll light it in a way where you'll notice this. Like, as soon as you start talking about
0: that type of stuff, like, the self-shooting kind of goes out the, yeah. out the window. Yeah, yeah, Really, self-shooting works for a very specific style that, like, has to be written for, you know? And yeah. as soon as you want something that stands out in the, you know, media landscape, you know, there just has to be experts and specialists there to help execute. Well, um, let me ask you, if you were an actor, would you feel safer
1: if a three-person crew came to your house dressed it Mm -hmm. set up a couple lights mics and filmed you in your house and they were masked and gloved or would you feel safer going to a big stage you know like a Mm -hmm. like one of those giant stages with like you know 30 foot high ceilings that's like 50 by 80 feet yeah a
0: sound stage like a
1: real sound stage Yeah, yeah a real sound stage with big elephant doors and things and somebody had built your room, like the room that I'm looking at over Google Hangouts right now, four walls, pretty much three walls, um, a door, a fake window, and dressed it, maybe even mm-hmm. built it a little bit
0: bigger than your room. But now Fabricated they're putting the my, lights... my room, my Twitch stream space, right? Yeah. And we got the exact same chair that my fans always see me in and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah now mean, we're lighting over the walls instead of From a performer's perspective, there. yes, mm-hmm. certainly... I would rather go to a sterile space that has ample space and, you know, the director is far away. Everyone's spread out and far away. And they're like, you mentioned elephant doors, you know, elephant doors are giant doors. So you've got a lot of, you know, air,
1: you can fit an elephant through them.
0: You literally can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that if I'm an actor from that perspective, yeah, that sounds better to me, but how many people does it take to build, uh, that set fabricate that set and how like can they all be in the same space at the same time i don't know well that that sort of those questions i think are a bigger issue i mean building
1: Um, a room you have like three flats right or or you know depending on the dimensions multiple flats but you're building three walls you can have two people more or less do the construction of that
0: i guess when i so i just had a spot drop today actually um, my last job, right before Mountain everything Dew? went, the Mountain Dew spot, yeah, it just oh, came cool. out today. Um, and that was a full set build in a soundstage. And like we had at least four, probably closer to like eight construction dudes. It was a lot of manpower to get it built. How long did they have to build it? Two days. It took eight people, but that includes dressing, painting, you mm-hmm. had bricks, yeah. you had. Yeah, which is all, and a breakaway wall and all that stuff. But, but yeah, kind of not so far from what you're describing. It wasn't giant, it was, it was like bigger than a regular bedroom, but not huge. We built like a loft. And look, there's features and all of that stuff. You could definitely get it done faster. And, and what, like I said, one of the walls had to be a breakaway wall. But, like, if you're laying flooring and you've got a window and you've got texture on everything and then it has to be dressed. You Know that takes a number of people, you know, right? Um, actually, our of, room doesn't have a window now that I think about it, but yeah, go still, on. still. Um, it brings me to a pretty ample comparison. I am shooting pickups for the feature that we shot, um, like insert shots this Monday, so less from a, less than a week from now, and uh, the DP is gonna come over and we're just going to use some basic lights. He owns the camera and all of that stuff. But, you know, um, that's made me relatively nervous compared to and he's my be sequestered. He's going to wear a mask, wear a mask and, and Chrissy and I are going to wear masks, yeah. So
1: just to play devil's advocate, like, let's say your DP had COVID, was an asymptomatic carrier, mm-hmm. and he's wearing a mask the entire time.
0: What actors are in the scene? None. Thank goodness. It's all inserts. It's all like hands and stuff though? Uh, there are some hands, but it's either myself or Chrissy doing all the hand doubling. And are you guys gonna wear masks? Yeah, of course. I
1: do think the masks are pretty effective and you know, mm-hmm. sanitize on the way in, keep the mask on. <laughs> sanitize in the middle and stuff, you know, and you guys are handling most things. Yeah. Um but I do even think like a sound stage is easier cleaner more breezy
0: bigger place you know yeah yeah breathe, it, it, breathe there's less, less shared air yeah the shared air issue for sure i think also um surfaces are just easier to clean with the soundstage because it's a clean slate you know it's basically just like a giant empty room and so whereas the apartment it's like there's surfaces that are going to be there forever you know and all of mm-hmm. that um are you going to take well, his I, temperature when he walks in Uh, probably not. Probably not. I wonder if there's um, people
1: listening to this podcast that live, like, in places where they just think this whole conversation is ridiculous. The whole thing
0: is is totally ridiculous. Yeah, totally. I think the psychological part of it that's complicated is that uh, my wife and I have held a very, very high standard in terms of risk aversion. Mostly because it's been pretty easy for us, you know? Like, we don't have things in our lives that make it especially hard. It's not like I miss the beach or something like that, you know, Um, or Mm -hmm. have a child that needs to burn off a ton of energy or um, a job that takes me out of the house. So, so we were very, very fortunate in that way. But as a result, um, we are less used to any um, potential contamination than, probably most people in the world. We're kind of an absurd degree of caution thus far. And so it feels weird to break that seal. Right. Um, Um, Logically though, yeah, everyone's going to be fine, you know, masks and decontamination and all that stuff.
1: I'm like obsessed with trying to figure out how people are getting it because I do think you can do things safely, you know, Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of our job, because you know, when, when this first started, you and I were like, "There's no way on a set like a PA is not going to touch a trash can that someone else is going to touch. Someone else is going to touch it. someone like people are going to touch all the same stuff." But I think if you keep a mask on, so you're not touching your face, and you sanitize, and at every and you take temperatures, and there's no one that's symptomatic on set, you could survive a shoot, even if some like one or two people on set
0: had COVID. Is it crazy for me to get drop cloth and like cover my stuff and then throw all the drop cloth away? Like disposable drop cloth? That is, right?
1: Is it crazy? No. I mean my it's something my wife would do in an instant <laughs> that I would yeah. be like... Hey, folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take, and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them
0: for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens.
1: Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada,
0: use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF to save 50 bucks. And if you're shooting
1: in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker by email or over the phone.
0: It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's Just Shoot It 50 off. Check them out. Let us know how it goes. Uh How much did
1: that drop cloth cost?
0: Drop well, dr- cloth cost? Disposable drop cloth is pretty cheap. Like the answer is $20 to cover literally everything you own. Yeah. Plus you have to go to Home Depot. I'd get it on Amazon. On Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just depends if you think it's... It's more, genuinely, yeah. it's more for peace of mind. Like we are already so far into the zone of rationally being safe that it's it's purely just that. Um, and also it's my home, right? So like, it's not like I leave the soundstage and then go home and know that everything's fine. You yeah. know, we, we call it a wrap and then I have to like decontaminate everything.
1: Yeah, I think so the Like, I guess the other way we could direct that we haven't quite talked about, at least on this episode yet, is like just directing things ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Self-shooting, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Us self-shooting as opposed to sending equipment to an actor to Mm -hmm. Mm self-shoot. So we both live with actors, but I think I mentioned to you the other day, I had an audition for a commercial that required a dad and a daughter that was between four and six, and my daughter's four, um, and they wanted someone that was a filmmaker that could also shoot that had access to gear, could light record sound, do all that stuff. And so we recorded this, uh, absolutely horrible
0: audition. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting. I've been thinking a lot about this because, um, I have been in talks with people about shoots like this as well. And, you know, my wife's an actor and, um sag has some specific rules on all of that stuff but it really calls into question uh the amount of privilege that it takes to be a working actor right now right because there's like it's already hard enough to be an actor and most of the time you're either working additional jobs or getting some other sort of support right um and probably both right Mm -hmm. but It's really tricky when it's like now you also have to live with a filmmaker who owns their own gear and then live in a place that is photogenic, you know, like that's a lot of hoops to jump through to then book a job that like, you know, sometimes pays great and sometimes doesn't pay very much money. You know, it's like it's pretty bonkers to me. Yeah, no, it sucks. Um, Um, Even
1: even from the filmmaker point of view, I find it. A little stressful to be like okay so i'm doing the lighting i'm doing this i'm doing all these things but then also acting (laughs) you know yeah Um, yeah
0: and nobody is really helping you (laughs) yeah right yeah all of a sudden normally at least an actor can look to a director on skype and they can be like don't worry you're doing great um i just need you to move the camera two inches to its left yeah like having a little bit of oversight and a little bit of collaboration I think is really important in especially Uh, stressful situations.
1: Yeah. But that said, we have heard of some people being quite successful with this. I've seen a lot of directors that are doing stop motion things and even Mm -hmm. food shoots at their own homes. You know, we even have this listener, Kevin O'Brien who shot these PSAs with, uh, for hand-washing and wearing masks. And even though he did go to a few different locations and, um, he worked with some various actors or, you know he
0: there are, there are people he's outside of his working within the the system basically right yeah, but he's still keeping his crew super lean i think it's it was just him correct and maybe his yeah, producer maybe as his well? wife or something very very lean with gear that he owns and people that he knew basically
1: yeah um, and so this thing that i think in hollywood there's this general progression where you start out by buying a camera and you're making things and you're editing Mm -hmm. things yourselves and you're teaming up with some friends and you're making shorts and you maybe went to film school or something. But at some point the goal is that you no no longer have to be the person that's like loading the C stands in your car or setting up the lights or, you know, you get to have a crew, a bigger crew and bigger crew and bigger crew. And that's kind of like a little bit of like the validation of being a filmmaker is like, Hey, I'm working with 40 people right now. Like we are doing something that's bigger than just me. Yeah. Um, They could see me now. Yeah. But all of a sudden, right now, the person that can do everything by themselves—and I don't just mean like being a DP and shooting or th- or acting—and my friend Laura Everly, she shoots and acts, and like she just did, you know, a bunch of different commercials and stuff that she just shot at home. That all look amazing, by the way, on on a
0: Canon Five D. That's great. I haven't seen those actually. Um, but are they I, commercials that she sold herself, or um, they were? She was hired to shoot them. Yeah. Oh wow. I'm not on Facebook anymore. I miss all this stuff.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think her situation is kind of unique in that she was kind of making um, periodical videos about mm-hmm. mom stuff for right. a company that makes videos about mom stuff. But to um, your point, working but your but own they
0: connections were connections to then leverage into self shooting. Yeah.
1: Well, they were finding sponsors um, like corporate sponsors for those things, so they are like it's more like branded video, I guess, than a commercial. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. per se but uh my point was that it's not just that it could just be like you're animating or you're making things in blender or Mm -hmm. um like all these things that you know i think even i who like love vfx and love 3d and love all the stuff if i do a shoot that has vfx in it we like figure out who's going to do the vfx we're going to hire an artist or a company or a post house or someone but all of a sudden it's like you got to think backwards you got to think of like what's the end
0: product and how can i achieve all these things on my Mm -hmm. own yeah it's funny because i think part of part of it is just the validation of like oh now i don't have to load c stands but also i always joke about this on the podcast i remember the moment when i like because i used to rap with the crew all the time to like show that i was a good guy i was like there with them like last man standing i'm gonna like be there till the bitter bitter end and i remember wrapping a cord and like putting it down and then someone coming and redoing it (laughs) and i was like oh right now there are people who are more skilled at this who just want me out of their way so that they can do a better job and that's kind of a version of the other part of why it's really good to have a bigger crew is that you're hiring people who are better at their job than you would be and right. so like it can be really complicated or tricky to all of a sudden be like, well, shoot, now I'm, I'm the DP again. And like, yeah, technically I can do this, but I know 20 other people who would be better at it or at least contribute ideas that I didn't have in the first place. Yeah. But
1: now this Jack of all trades does all of a sudden has become all of a sudden. valuable again. Yeah. And I bet a lot of our listeners are kind of those Jacks of all trades. Um, I saw one of our uh, occasional guests, Jamai Youssef. is she's learning unreal. She's been doing all this 3d modeling and animation fun recently. Um, And, you know, I mentioned that I'd bought a PC and PC parts are like almost impossible to get right now, like really good graphics cards and processors because everyone is (laughs) buying PCs and trying to get good at 3d modeling and animation and stuff because it really is the future. I think, I, some of the stuff I've seen on Instagram and stuff of what people are doing totally by themselves mm-hmm. makes me think even if we could go out and shoot things like why would we when we, when we can hire one or two people to build this environment build something for us. incredible
0: well let, let's shift into that a little bit because you've been really talking a ton about blender with me and you're so excited about it and I think that you know I have been really focused on my traditional career you know like I've got an indie feature that we're finishing up and I'm writing a new one. And that's kind of like, you know, what I would be doing if I was just out of work under normal circumstances. And like we said at the top of the show, things are different now. And we know they're going to be different for a long time. And so we also have kind of been looking at like what what's on the horizon? What makes sense? How do you make a living when you can't put a big crew together and separate from self-shooting and all the stuff that we talked about before, I'm curious to know if your interest in Blender and VFX or your renewed interest in VFX is partially motivated by the idea of freelancing in that world or what's what's the thinking behind it? Where's it coming from? Or is it just like a fun, positive distraction? Um, well, my first job during the pandemic
1: was a VFX job. And it made me feel good because as everyone's shoots were being canceled, including my own, this opportunity came up to do a bunch of screen replacements for some weird Japanese vape commercial or something Something that Mm. I was weird as it is. And I was like, should I even be working on this? But it was like, that's so funny. I've been vaping a ton. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks to you. I mean, m- many of Gary Larson's biggest fans are big vapors, <laughs> big vapors. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I was like, man, I should really get my reel together and get all this VFX work. Cause there's all this stuff in post now, by now, four months into it, probably not as much stuff in post, but a lot of people buying stock footage and wanting to change some of it or doing animated things, animated projects. Um, so I think that, my motivation, which was originally like, hey, I can get jobs, has evolved quite a bit. And a, a big part of it was having Lawson Deming on our podcast. You know, he's the uh, owns Barnstorm VFX, who does all the VFX for Man in the High Castle. And he was always a big proponent of Blender, which is I- interesting to those of you that don't know much about 3D graphics, because the industry standard for 3D graphics forever has been Maya. And then there's a few other packages, like Cinema 4D houdini other things that let you do certain things better but maya is like what they use at dreamworks what they use at Pixar, what they use mm-hmm. everywhere you know um, it is the industry standard and it's expensive and it's hard to learn and blender is this 100 free software um, and so right. when he was pushing for that and it turns out they use a lot of it for man in the high castle and then i just kind of dove in to see like well hey i could get my feet wet and like serious 3D software, serious enough to make Man in the High Castle um, for free without spending any money, like maybe I'll do it. And I just like discovered all these artists that are just doing the most insane things. And there are actually people at Pixar and DreamWorks and various places that are kind of sneaking Blender in. There's people at Marvel that are using it. Um, And so to me, it more became this idea that maybe I'm not going to like work to become like an amazing 3d modeler or texture or shader or animator and, you know, get 30 seconds of footage in the Pixar film 10 years from now. Like, I don't see that really being my future, but I do see like, Hey, maybe I can make my short film that has like mm-hmm. 10 awesome VFX shots that I do in blender that are like at a broad TV level, you know, they're not going to be a Marvel level, but they might be at, at, at a broadcast level of some sort production level. And, um it just got really got me really excited from a creative like inspiration <laughs> type of place um so so yeah so i think that's why i'm putting everything in it and i we talked about this off the mic but i do a lot of my storyboards in cinema 4d which is a 3d package and it's really fun to figure out your shots in 3d and now if i can transfer that over to blender i th- like i'm this project i have that i don't know when it's going to shoot but it's going to be on the stage i think i'm going to try to create the whole thing in blender like as a 3d -hmm. animation and then it's like an animatic and you know as soon as you get better at things like oh maybe now there's new
0: smoke fire have have we talked about i think that you remember that movie free fire it's like a 70s movie with like brie larson and a handful of other people it's in real time and it's just kind of like a gunfight basically oh yes yes um i remember reading an article about how the director uh modeled it in minecraft oh that's cool um, just to make sure that the sight lines always worked. But it's like the the low-rent version of, you know.
1: Yeah. I mean, Unreal is also this, like, totally free 3D environment. It's just built so much for gaming that I find the learning curve a little bit harder. It's hard to find the tools in Unreal to do cinema as opposed to, to program games, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, like, just right. noisier. Um, but anyway, so... Yeah, it, the biggest problem with Blender is there's just too many amazing things to learn, you know, from sculpting to fluids to animation to modeling to lighting. Um, but all of them kind of play back into filmmaking in a way. And you start watching these animators like online and them talking about um, how like they worked on animating this character's mouth for like two months, you know, mm-hmm. on Elsa's mouth so that. And you think, like, why don't you just do face facial capture, you know, and just copy it? And it's because animation really is an art. And the art isn't just mimicking how a human being would do this. It's exaggerating certain poses. It's sure. pushing the nose out. It's putting, you know, I mean, you told me you practically minored in animation. You know this. It's like animating a character is so much more than motion
0: capture, you know? Yeah, without a doubt. I, and I think the most motion capture, I think, is always plussed and embellished by hand animation as well. But, you you know, Warren, what, what I kept thinking about while you were telling me this story about Blender and, you know, my own endeavors, writing more and, like, developing out more projects, I think what I'm hearing is that we're both falling back on our core competencies and the fundamentals, right? So you're learning how to be a better filmmaker and learning new tools through computers and, like, visual graphics right which was kind of like your original interest before you became an engineer before you know like when you were just a kid like playing with computers was the kind of the way that you figured out storytelling and filmmaking in a sense right yeah that intersection between technology and art is like right gets me super excited that's your sweet spot right and i think that i kind of constantly have to remind myself of the writing of it all and the story fundamentals of it all. And that's kind of where I've gotten reinvigorated and just in general, trying to figure out how to survive, right? Like post all of this, you know, like what, what am I going to do for the next six months? You know, the answer can't be watch more TV. (laughs) Yeah. They're, they're actually out of TV. (laughs) We're scraping the barrel, man. Um, But so I think that to listeners at home, whether you're interested in writing more or learning 3D graphics, I think sharpening those skills, I think is going to be a thing that is going to bring you some clarity and peace and excitement, you know, because I think that that's the thing that we're all dealing with. I think, you know, in months past, there was a lot of rhetoric around like being kind to yourself and not putting too much pressure on yourself and not stressing yourself out. Um, because a pandemic is a really stressful thing to deal with, and so don't feel bad if you haven't written The Great American Screenplay by now. And I think that that is all still true, but I think especially as Angelinos, the knowledge that our lives are this way for the foreseeable future means that you have to get into some sort of gear so that you don't feel like garbage for another eight months yeah for sure by gear you mean like you have to shift into a gear right shift into something yeah you, ha- you it can't just be you know sourdough and youtube yoga videos <laughs> right. though those are great you know
1: yeah and i will Shout say out, like, yoga
0: <laughs> yoga with adrian <laughs> i'll say
1: that to me like if you think about what being a filmmaker means if you really like focus on that maker <laughs> half of that term uh like writing for me is very hard I know it's hard for everyone I'm sure it's hard for you but yeah it's still with my daughter with my family things. with our schedule like i I know the right thing to do is to like sit down and write a great pilot write a feature write all that stuff but with the stress of the world and the news and everything like if you feel like that's just not something you have the mental capacity to accomplish right now just I think to me kind of the takeaway is like make something you know whether you're excited by sure. technology and you're you're excited by stop motion stuff. You're excited by cooking, and you can share that in some way. Like we're creative people, and yes, like I think maybe our favorite version of that is when we're on set with a bunch of people and filming things on cameras. But if you can't do that, find the thing that brings you joy. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't, even though writing is
0: probably the best way to do it. Um, I don't know. I, I I don't think it's fair or worthwhile to say best. Right I think that's what I was getting at with the thing that is your truest self, do you know what I mean right. like or maybe
1: that's the most traditional way of sure using yeah. free time as a filmmaker,
0: <laughs> yeah, perhaps perhaps, but I think that uh, to your point, I think there's there's a really broad spectrum of different ways to develop your skills and craft, you know,
1: and some of those ways might even get you paid, you know, especially if you share things yeah. with people and uh, they're like writing
0: hey. can get you paid as well don't forget, but yeah, yes, for sure, um yeah,
1: writing a a feature right now, I think it's', it's harder to see how you turn that
0: into money before the the can't, pandemic is over before we can, but do maybe things. you could yeah, if, yeah. You could. yeah, it depends on where you are and all of that. The thing that I've been working on as my back burner project is I have really been actively noodling like pre-development on a scripted podcast because you know like you were doing it's something where like you don't really have to ask for permission you know we know a ton of great performers a ton of stand-up comedians probably have their own podcast already and therefore have their own recording gear there's a lot of you know smart producing reasons why doing a scripted podcast makes a ton of sense but but the flip side is I've worked so hard to write visually and mm-hmm. train myself to figure out how to, like, do things with less and less. Dialogue is the thing that comes the most naturally to me. And I really have worked so hard sinking my teeth into figuring out how to write visually. And, like, m- early in my directing career, I really kind of tried to focus on that work as much as I could. And now it just feels like a tool that's no longer in my box. And it really um, well. I has think. Been an early
1: challenge. I think just from like kind of having gone through it one time, I think that writing sonically is uh, a similar, albeit slightly Mm -hmm. different skill. And I feel strongly about this just because we did not do a good job of it on our podcast. We did not think about um, the sound of a place and Mm -hmm. how it drives the story forward in a non dialogue in a subtextual sense, you know, or contextual Mm -hmm. sense. And if I had to do at least my scripted podcast all over again, I would think of interesting sounds that can kind of bring me into a scene. And like this takes place in a forest, like what animals Mm -hmm. and what, and like, even if there's a way to tie them somehow into the plot, it would be really, um, it's cool. And I've, I've listened to some podcasts that do a really great job of integrating sound into their story in a non gimmicky way. There's a lot of gimmicky versions Mm -hmm. too. Um, and it's,
0: it's, it's kind of similar. It's more challenging, obviously. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. That's a great way to think of it. And I think that the thing that I think about last tends to be sound as a traditional filmmaker. And so this poses like a nice, um, opportunity to sharpen that skill.
1: Yeah. What I find now that I'm think when I think about podcast scenes, it's like, How can we make a scene feel dynamic um, audio wise? And to me, like Mm -hmm. dynamic obviously means like has a lot of like some loud elements and some quiet elements. And so like we had a scene uh, of this girl talking on a phone in my podcast and we just changed it to her going to someone's cheerleading practice. Like Mm -hmm. originally she was walking on the sidewalk talking on the phone. Now she's like at a cheerleading practice while she's on the phone. So she has to yell into the phone and we hear all these cheerleaders in the background and it just changes the whole intensity of the scene you know yeah, and then when we cut great. out of that scene it, it's quiet she's in her room we hear some crickets or whatever and it's like a different feeling it's a much bigger yeah. tra- better transition than before when she's like walking in the neighborhood
0: and there's dogs and lawnmowers and some light traffic right. there's no contrast between things or yeah, yeah that's great that's great so cool um, man well i can't wait to hear it um yeah. and i can't wait to watch all of your weird blender experiments on Ooh. Instagram. I can't wait for my family to be like, I don't get this. What <laughs> uh
1: are you um You're looking for work though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How um, is this relevant to anything? Yeah, yeah. That's my family. Well, speaking of things that might or might not be relevant to you, are you interested in uh, and hanging out with me for some unpaid endorsements? Let's do it, Oren. Unpaid
0: endorsements.
1: I have one. Kick it off. That I'm excited about. It's a new show mm-hmm. on Disney Plus. Do you
0: have Disney Plus? I have my sister in law's account. Okay. Did you watch Hamilton? That's the only thing we've used it oh. for. And it was great. Have you seen Frozen? <laughs> the rumors too? are true. Uh no. I yeah, eventually I'll see it. I like the first one. I don't I just haven't bothered. Um, well, so
1: there is a docu-series on Disney Plus called Into the Unknown, mm-hmm. and it is the behind the scenes of Frozen 2, and I was watching it with my daughter, and I was like literally so emotional, I was like teary-eyed watching it, um, because, I don't know, it was just like this beautiful, like you watch the director, um, she comes from a writing background, Jennifer Lee, and she co-directs it with Chris Buck, who comes from an animation background, and um, you just see how much work goes into these movies. Like we all know that these Disney and mm-hmm. Pixar movies take so much work, but like, like the emotional work and, you know, you know, everyone, I think most people know this, but it's just cool to see it. Cause they have it all on video is like, they screen the entire movie in storyboard form to mm-hmm. every other director of every other movie. <laughs> like the director of Moana, the director of, mm-hmm. uh,
0: you yeah, know, it's like Tiana, a ultimate like, brain trust. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: this guy did the Little Mermaid, and this woman did Brave or whatever. Like, yeah, and they come and they watch and they give you notes, and then you just see them like at, when they're recording the music with an orchestra, and you see Idina Menzel comes and meets one of the animators to just look at this shot. And by the way, an animator—I kind of touched on this earlier, but—and this is where I got this from—they will work on a movie for a year, and they will have between like a minute and a minute and a half of movie. Yeah. Yeah, that is there. So when they're watching it with their family, they're like, "Yep, that I did that That's two me. second yeah. shot." Yeah, um, and uh-huh. so there is this amazing scene where they do this animation review. We see this animator; she's kind of a newer animator, junior animator, and she's doing this shot of Elsa running to the edge of a cliff and stopping. And they show her working on it, working on it. And she's so nervous. And then they go and they have this whole animation review where it's just that one shot with fifty people in a movie theater watching it. And then the, they all watch it, and the, then they're all, like, nodding. Okay. And then director, Jennifer Lee, she's like, it's pretty good. Uh, but she seems kind of, like, hesitant, like, when she's running. Like, like, how can we get her to feel more confident? What if she runs and slides, like, almost like an ice skater? And then it's, like, it's just crazy. Like, how many people are involved in one detail of sure. one body movement?
0: That's 15 seconds worth of footage. Oh, less. Yeah. yeah, I mean yeah. it's crazy, and and you just know there's seeing... that famous story that maybe maybe I've told on the podcast where they back in the day before when they would would do hand drawn animation. Is this there the was Ra- this... Who Framed Roger Rabbit? No, no Little Mermaid. Okay. So Jeffrey Katzenberg is like a relatively new, young, fancy executive, and they're showing like basically an animatic of the Little Mermaid to a, a theater of like animators' kids, I think mostly and um under the sea comes on and a kid drops their popcorn and like has like a little tantrum about it and Katzenberg wanted to cut under the sea because no of it yeah yeah um yeah no that's that's crazy and he was like no this song isn't working we should cut it that's yeah it's a very good song so i actually have uh, an endorsement that i think really it's a show that I've endorsed many times before, but I can't get enough of it. uh the show Imaginary Worlds it's a podcast about uh, uh basically sci-fi and uh fandom, basically yeah I and think can listen to that the the woop the the sound effect one sound effect one it's it's great, right yeah that one is really, really What's wonderful. that one called? The woop yeah <laughs> the name. womp maybe the, womp. the wah the wa I think. Which is a reference to like the Chris Nolan like Inception, Wah. yeah, um, and effect. and the whole uh, trailer craft basically. But um, uh, episode one forty seven, the Once and Future Comic Con, um, I found really therapeutic. It's basically an episode about the history and importance of fan conventions and the fact that we won't be able to attend them this year uh san diego comic-con which is kind of the big mothership is doing an online one i think a lot of other ones will be following suit um and the kind of economic fallout of conventions not being a thing for people anymore but um you know summer is is convention season and um while i am only a moderate nerd i have gone to san diego compared to like real nerds i'm like a lightweight Compared to normal people, I'm a big nerd. I'm just kind of right in that middle spot. So I've gone to Comic Con for the last decade um, and I've always really loved it. And uh, it makes me sad that I don't have the choice. I probably wasn't going to go this year, but it makes me sad that I don't have the option to. And well, so I, this was a little. Uh, it's good. Because nice now you to. can say you've gone to every Comic Con you could have gone to. I skipped one. I missed one for Townies, actually, now that I think about it. Oh, I, okay. Yeah. Never mind. If you are craving a convention experience or even like, you know, state fairs, outdoor movie screenings, all of that stuff kind of that we associate with summer um, has changed pretty drastically for us. And so this was a little piece of um, nostalgia for me. So seek out that thing that you miss and maybe acknowledging it and thinking about it and processing it will be helpful. Cool. Thanks for the rec, Matt. If you guys have any recommendations or
1: questions or want to just say anything about anything, we'd love to hear from you. We want to hear about your
0: COVID directing. We'd like to yeah, hear. Yeah, I, I actually, we, we on the Steph, uh, Steph and Diesel episode that just came out, um, somebody recommended other soundtracks to write to. And I thought, boy, that's great. So um, chime in with your endorsements or, or your thoughts on the things that we endorsed. And maybe we'll get a little conversation going cool are you talking about Dre Babinski's recommendations no no, no. I'm talking about somebody totally different she just whose name I did not it. recognize did she really yeah like about, a second ago uh no, four plenty. minutes ago
1: <laughs> about soundtracks to write to <laughs> really oh what a... <laughs>
0: yes all right well so then now we have to start a thread of soundtracks to write to so check that out on our Facebook and Instagram and pile on if you have a, an endorsement that you want to throw into the pile endorse endorse away
1: this episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. The music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And thanks for listening. We will catch thanks you next everyone. week. Bye. Bye.
0: The late bloomers tend
1: to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience.
0: There's stories and mythology that
1: this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong what's worth more than this fear right now
0: and that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being listen to deeply personal insightful and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading
1: thinkers and doers listen and subscribe to the unmistakable creative wherever you get your podcasts
0: ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me Keke Palmer.